steps for brands. One giant leap for brand kind. You're listening to Food Chain, presented by Perfy. A big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Hit the link in the show notes and use promo code PERFY for 15% off today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Food Chain. Today's guest, we have Lucas Kraft, co-founder of Wonderbelly. Lucas, welcome to the show. Hey, Vasa. That's a pleasure to be here. Uh, how's it going? Good, man. Um, we always start each episode with a little bit more about the founder from your words. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to where you are today with Wonderbelly. Yeah, so I'm Lucas and um, a little bit about my background, which nicely leads into the Wonderbelly story. But the way I identify myself is I suffer from digestive health issues. So basically, that has always been a huge part of my identity ever since I was 15 years old. And it all sort of culminated when I developed an eating disorder. So that's usually where the story begins. But I developed an eating disorder. I was bulimic. And that lasted for about 10 years. And when engaging in bulimia, it really starts to damage your digestive system. So throughout high school, throughout college, I was struggling with the eating disorder, but also damaging my digestive system. So by the time I was able to recover in my mid-20s, I was left with long-lasting issues like GERD, which is just chronic acid reflux, and a few other issues mainly surrounding my stomach and my esophagus. And I was left using a whole litany of digestive health products. Those work. They're really effective. The -the over-to-the-counter pharmaceutical products are really effective. And so they got me through the next 10 years until 2020 rolled around and one of those products had to be recalled because of a carcinogenic ingredient. And it caused me to look closer at the back of of all these medications I was using. And um, I realized, wow, there's really a need for some kind of change and innovation here, meaningful innovation around clean ingredients like we've been seeing in, in cosmetics and food, but it hasn't really happened in a meaningful way around pharmaceutical and medicine. So that's really where Wonderbelly came about is it was something I needed. And I started discovering, you know, there was a lot of other people out there like me who also needed it as well. That's crazy. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear and I'm glad you threw it. I love when CPG products come from a place of need. It's not just a, oh, hey, let's do this. It's more of like, a, hey, let's solve this. So kudos to you and the team. What's it like being a co-founder with with family? There was a nice sort of trial period beforehand. You know, my brother, who's my co-founder, Noah, um, he's also the CEO. We actually, and it's funny what you just mentioned, trying to create a company for the sake of creating a company. There was a period in like 2017, 2018, where I'm very much a, a creative. Like that's major part of the role I play is a creative I like to dream. I like to, you know, keep my head in the clouds. Uh, Noah is very much boots on the ground in a way, you know, very much a captain of the ship uh, and business oriented. So we complement each other really well. And we noticed that early on is that there'd be amazing synergy if we put our forces together and tried to come up with something. So we really were in 2017 trying to come up with something for the sake of coming up with something. And we got to experience working together. And at first, you know, there were some growing pains, but being brothers, there was a level of communication that was already there on a really deep level. We understood each other and we understood how to communicate effectively. 
with each other and then having to work together professionally, we started to gain a new level of communication, how to communicate not just as brothers, but also as co-founders and co-workers. So it was a really great growth experience for our relationship. But ultimately, we discovered, you know, trying to create a business for the sake of creating a business, it was really exhausting because there was no heart in it. There was no like authenticity in it. We weren't waking up every day excited to get into you know, real estate tech or whatever it was that we saw there was a, an opportunity. And it wasn't also something that we inherently knew a lot about. So we sort of, we said, look, if something does come up, we'll, we'll revisit it. But for right now, like, let's put that to bed, just trying to create a company. And then there was this sort of organic arise love and idea. It was the wonder belly. And then I brought it to Noah and I was like, I think this is that time we revisit it. This is close to home, as close as it gets. And uh, we were able to pick back up. And yeah, it's been a great experience. I think that there's there's great things that can come from family businesses. And uh, it's great that it's been good so far. I've always wondered, and I'm going to ask now, now is the time. Were there any other names of the the brand prior to Wonderbelly? You don't have to share them if you don't want to. But if there is any fun ones, what were through, they? It went through a lot of names. The, the main name, I'm not going to share right now because... There's still a potential use for yeah. it at some point, if not just purely as like, I don't even know what, but, you know, we were talking about one of my favorite ones was, what was it? It was gut wrench. I knew it was going to, I knew it. Gut wrench. I was like, oh man, there's like, it's fixing your gut. And of course, gut wrench is not a positive yeah. like term. It's not, it doesn't have positive terminology. It doesn't make you think this is going to be nice. But I was like, this is like, it's, it's, it's effective. It's sort of like liquid death version of medication. Yeah. It was like, I wouldn't probably want to take something called gut wrench, even though I like, there's this like double entendre and B that's just not the vibe that I think is needed right now, especially with medication. You know, I love what liquid death is doing, but we're trying to create something that people really rely on and look for, for like a soothing experience. So we, we we tabled gut wrench for now. That's hilarious. I, I thought you were going to say gut punch or something like that. I was pretty close. Gut punch. Uh, well, that, that, that's our, you know, that's our fruity, fruity drink probiotic. Exactly. I'm surprised that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So, so funny. Uh, liquid death comes up in a lot of conversations on these podcasts that I have. And just in general, I think that since we're on that, you know, we brought that up. I think they've done a tremendous job turning violence into something that people relate to. I don't know what the macro effect of that's going to be, um, but it's not like the first time it's been done. You know, the, the, the founder posted about Call of Duty doing like a billion dollars in sales or something the first weekend, and it's just people shooting each other. But uh, I, I digress. Yeah, I, I first off, I think what Liquid Death is doing is amazing and eye-opening because it's really pushing the boundaries and starting to allow, you know, from a marketing level, people to explore new areas that they were always afraid of exploring and saying, oh, you know, we're allowed to start really experimenting and exploring. I don't think Liquid Death would have worked 10 years ago. I hate to get into it, but things are pretty chaotic. So yeah. it's in a ways reflective of like the outside world and people are receptive of that. It sort of feels like it's wild because it's like it's crazy, but it sort of fits. Yeah, it does make a, a ton of sense right now. We've worked with a lot of founders at my agency that have great ideas, but I think what separates Liquid Death from other great ideas is you can clearly tell that there was a creative brief involved. It wasn't like a off the cuff, 
let's just run with it. Some of them may seem like it, but I think they have such a dialed in creative brief that their execution is always on point. And I think that's what differentiates random ideas from well-executed ones. Totally. And it was like, for us, as much as like, I'm, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a creative and my brother's definitely a creative as well, but very much a business mindset. Our brand couldn't be necessarily just a marketing company because we really needed to back it up with effective medicine, something that's super serious, right? Something that needed to work and have a lot of authenticity and, and substance to it. So as much as I was like, oh, there's all this, like we can create this really great brand and brand experience. Before we even dove into that, I was like, we need to make sure we can create an amazing product. And as while we were sort of building the brand, a major focus was, you know, bringing in as much as I was like, I would love to create something I want. I'm still the consumer. I'm still like a super user of the product. I needed to find the basically equivalent in terms of manufacturing and formulation. So that was the, you know, that was the first step for us was identifying the leaders in the field that we could turn to who could help guide us in making an amazing product that worked and was trustworthy and met all the, you know, standards we were trying to hit. And then we were able to basically be like, okay, you know, we validated that. Now we can really build the brand that fits what we're trying to do here. And yeah, I totally agree with you that if that vision is really clear, it the consumer is able to respond to it a lot easier and better. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point. For me, that's very, very similar to you with Perfy. It was all product first. It was product, then building in public, trying to build some type of buzz around it. So I didn't launch at zero. And I think it's very, very smart to dial in your product in a way, like identify what those guardrails are, what can and can't happen with this product, like in your overall vision. And that's what I did with, with R and D. And then brought on a great ops team. And it was all about building the right efficiencies in the back end that that made sense. And then for me, building a brand and a business brand being something cool that people can relate to. Basically brand, in my opinion, is your reputation. And the business is, is it actually feasible? Is it something that can actually work from a, a dollar standpoint? So good call there. How long were you, were you and Noah at it before you guys launched? The idea sprung up in 2020 and then we ended up launching in June of 2022. So it came out to like roughly 18 months, 18 months to like two years almost um, between there. You know, we're, we're dealing with a pretty antiquated industry that does not move fast. And it really, it shouldn't, it like can't move fast. It's medicine. You need to make sure everything is buttoned up. So, you know, the expectations you have in, in first off in tech, and then maybe even in, in other categories in CPG, you have to slow those down pretty significantly for when you're dealing with pharmaceutical medicine um, and anything in the VMS category. Have you found challenges in your industry because it's you know medicine? It's not just like you're creating a soda or you're launching a canned water. What kind of challenges have you run into that maybe others don't in food and beverage? One really interesting thing was somewhat of a disconnect to the consumer and you can see it in a lot of different areas but a disconnect from understanding the consumer consumer needs and really how to create a, like meaningful connection so and what i mean by that is like while we were formulating there were a couple people that we brought in as advisors and when we were looking at flavor that was something that was super important to us is 
Um, we really, it needed to be an extremely enjoyable experience. Uh, there's a lot of digestive health medication out there that, you know, you sort of have to endure taking it. And we wanted it to be relief that you looked forward to. So while we were creating it, we got a lot of people questioning, you know, why are you focusing so much on on the flavor? And that was really interesting to us. Mm-hmm. We came out with like our first few iterations of the strawberry milkshake flavor. They're like, this is great. And Noah and I were looking at each other like, but it's not quite there. And they're like, but it's fine. And we we're like, that's not what we're willing to settle with is fine. Yeah. It needs to be something that you really love. And so there are a few different moments like that where it was, you know, there were a couple like consumer experience points that have been sort of discarded. And I was like, we need to elevate those a little bit more. So the consumers really taken into consideration. Yeah. And that's the, you know, that's another area that we, we talk a lot about is a lot of these products that exist. They're very transactional. There's no real strong communication or community around them, which leads to a lack of education and a lack of you know, understanding of what they might be able to do or what's going on with your body and why you might need them or, you know, alternatives and that kind of thing. So, you know, there's there's an interesting disconnect between the products and the consumer. We touched on it a couple of times and I want to highlight it a little bit is the idea of just creating a product just to get it out there. And I, I think there's a couple of different definitions of MVP or minimum viable product. And those that don't make the sacrifice on the product, I think, are, are better off. Like, yeah, it's cool to make some concessions on a website. It doesn't need to be a Ferrari at first. It can be literally a, a Prius. Like, that's the MVP that should be okay. And, you know, messaging positioning is going to evolve over time, most likely. Like, no one's going to nail it 100% out the gate. It's very, it's an outlier. I can think of a couple of brands that have, but overall, there will be changes that are made. And I think it's so important, one, to have heart. You mentioned if it comes from a place of need, you have heart for your product. Like it makes things easier on those days where things are tough, you know, a shipment gets missed or it's delayed and you have to pay a fee to the distributor or whatever. Those days become a lot easier to me, in my opinion, when you have heart or you have skin in the game or it comes from a place of need. But if it's just something that popped up on the radar, like, oh, let's try to make a few bucks. I don't think enduring those tough times is as easy or as is as desirable as it could be. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. And, you know, the concept of MVP is I always aim and this is it's a struggle that I deal with, but also my team has to deal with because it's for me. But it's so hard for me to drop, put anything that's not like in my eyes, perfect, which is the exact opposite of an MVP. Right. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, whatever you put out there until it, it gets like released into the wild it's almost definitely going to have to take a different shape uh, as you start to sort of see it interact with its environment. So like how we sort of came out the gate, we had this entire idea of, you know, our voice and what our voice was going to be. And we came out the gate and we really started to see it interact with people. And we realized we need to tweak a few things because we could add a little bit more warmth here um, rather than sort of cheekiness, which we were leaning heavily on. And and so you you ultimately do have to be able to navigate and be flexible because it's not what you want. It's not what I want. It's what people need is the ultimate dictation of what it's going to be. Absolutely. I could think of a, a pretty funny example. I thought I was being creative and first to market with my statement of identity on the soda with our first label, adaptogenic and nootropic soda. And I found out day one from a few people like, 
what the fuck is an adaptogen and a nootropic? And I was like, I cannot have that on there anymore. Like people know what L-theanine is or ashwagandha or turmeric. They don't know like the family that it's in. So I immediately made those changes and it's, it's good to listen to your customer and evolve along the way. I think ultimately that'll lead to a really good finished product. So a lot of listening and learning for me the first, first year, but real quick, I want to transition to gut health. So I think we could agree that, you know, this is great for, for your gut health. You know, we wanted to call it gut wrench or it was the initial thing that you, you talked about, but how have you found the beverage industry right now? Beverage industry, if you go to any Gelson's, Erewhon, any, you know, any grocery store in general, it's loaded with kombuchas and now prebiotic, probiotic drinks. What's it like sticking to a true form factor from, you know, the big, big medicine industry and not branching out into like a gummy or a soda? It's interesting. There's, I'm glad you brought that up because there's been a constant sort of us paying very close attention to where is the line between we as a company need to a degree be taken seriously. Like we need to establish ourselves as a credible medicine and not fall too hard into say like the candy category, even though we do play along the line of with our flavors, strawberry milkshake and lemon sorbet and things like that. We want to bring levity to it. But at the end of the day, people will be relying on us for pretty serious occasions um, where they're going to be looking for ultimately pain relief from heartburn or, you know, acid indigestion. They're going to be using us to relieve them from the discomfort, which is pretty serious. So we also need to be able to walk that line as well. However, you know, we do like I always look towards the the beverage aisle and like what you guys at Perfy are doing. And I think that you can still bring in some of that life that you see there. There's so much life in the beverage aisle and a lot of the food category and candy category. But then when you walk into the OTC aisle, suddenly it becomes sterile and white and overcast, which is so strange because what these Mm -hmm. products are supposed to do is sort of release you from these issues and ailments that keep you from living life. So why aren't they sort of representing a more aspirational side of life that they're offering you? Like what we're trying to allow you to do is like heartburn, acid ingestion, sour stomach, those things hit while you're out partying or doing whatever, your ability to engage in that activity suddenly diminishes significantly. So what we want to help represent is don't focus on that discomfort because we'll take care of it. Focus on living your life. That's actually why initially one of our slogans was no flux given, mm-hmm. you know, acid reflux. And it was like, live life with no flux given. And then we were like, we, we, we can probably reel that back, especially since we need to do a little bit more educating on where the word flux comes from. There are a couple other things, but um, <laughs> it was this idea of like, we want to take the shackles off of what, you know, experiencing heartburn and acid indigestion at really inconvenient times brings. And so I want to touch on how you mentioned that like the beverage aisle has life. And when you go to the over the counter section in wherever you, wherever you shop, it is pretty damn boring. And I I can think of a couple name brands and I'll drop them. You don't bring up any names because I don't want any legal stuff thing, but like I can think of my Lanta and all I can remember is a commercial I saw when I was a kid. And it was just this burly dude voice talking about like pain in the stomach. And there's just no fun. I, I know that heartburn and acid indigestion and sour stomach, they, they're just not fun things. But I think the solving of that could be fun. And I think that what Wonderbelly does in such a, a meaningful way is you're bringing that life to that section. And it's so cool to see. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely what we're aiming to do. And, you know, it it sort of is a theme along a lot of the things we're trying to accomplish through our branding, but also through like part of our mission outside the product is, you know, I, you know, is destigmatization of digestive health, my story with eating disorder and um, destigmatization around things that affect your digestive health. So like eating disorders. And when we talk about those things, we also try to bring levity to that because life is serious enough as it is. Um, we already talked about how chaotic it can be. And it's there's a, enough stuff out there that can really bum you out. We don't want to be one of those things. We want to represent the like, we want to help you understand. We want to help you educate, but we want to put it in a vehicle that is enjoyable in yeah. like all shapes and sizes, whether it's our product, whether it's information, whether it's our mission, we want to make it so that we're both meeting you where you're at, but making it so you want to be involved and engaged. I like it because you're not scaring me into taking your product. You know, like it's not like like yeah. this terrible infomercial of, I mean, I, I don't even want to think of examples. I don't want to be offensive in, in any shape or form, but it's just, you guys are, are you, it's like, it's, it's authentic. And if you, if you have these sorts of ailments, you know, take this product. I think it's, I think it's cool because it's, you're not taking it too seriously, although it is a very serious subject. Yeah. I mean, especially our product as it is, it's our active ingredient is calcium carbonate. So itself, it's a super stable compound. It can be used as a calcium supplement. So it's, it's pretty basic. And so what we're trying to do is basically we're trying to stay simple as much as we can. And yeah, we do not want to move towards like fear mongering or scaring anybody into doing anything because if you have heartburn, we don't need to scare you into finding relief. You will look for relief and hopefully we are one of the, the options that you choose mm -hmm. and we appeal to you. If not, our main goal is that you find relief. If you choose us, that's amazing. But re really, we just want you to find what's best for you. And we want to be one of the offerings that you you look at when you're when you're trying to make that decision. Yeah, that's awesome. What about like mental well being? I have a couple friends that I that I know quite well that whenever they get too nervous or are unsure of like a meeting or something like that, they always happen upon you know stomach problems. They've got to run to the bathroom. How does mental well being and gut health kind of coincide? So they're heavily connected, and we're learning more and more almost every day still the digestive system is especially to consumers a black box but we're starting to really understand this gut brain connection and how they both influence each other the mind influencing how the gut is and the gut influencing how the mind is stress is a pretty obvious one it's you start to really uh disrupt and cause a good amount of issues with your stomach when you're stressed out and you can really feel it pretty immediately. You get stomach aches. Heartburn is a huge one. And that's why a lot of the time heartburn is used synonymously with stress. You're causing me heartburn, people will say. And if you look in the news, a lot of the time it's, it's used as like, this figure is causing everyone heartburn because of the stunt that they pulled. So there is a really strong connection. Yeah. I find it like when I have anxiety or if I over caffeinate in the morning i feel like just nauseous almost throughout the rest of the day or like you know how that works when uh i don't, I don't drink as much these days but i remember vividly you know hangover days where like the anxiety and the nausea was just gut-wrenching pun intended yeah exactly <laughs> no and I, I look i'm i suffer from anxiety and depression so i've i experience it firsthand 
Yeah, it's not fun, especially when it comp like when you're already feeling sort of, you know, anxiety to then have suddenly a physical issue accompany it. That is not helpful. That is another thing to have to deal with. So yeah, it's something that we're constantly focused on. And for us, it's really about education, awareness. And one of the, you know, a little interesting anecdote that I like to bring up is one time I went to a gastroenterologist, one of probably a thousand that I've been to. And there was a point where I was like, look, I have GERD. It's a lifelong issue that I'm going to have to deal with. And I wanted to know, are there other things that I can do to try to mitigate the amount of symptoms that I experience, heartburn, all that stuff? And he looked at me and he was like, have you considered taking away stress? And I looked at him and I was like, yes, of course I've considered that. I didn't, I don't need heartburn to want to take away stress, but that is such a like, how do you do that? Do you think I've just sort of been biding my time until you made that suggestion? Like, <laughs> how do you just take away stress? Of course, there are ways you can do it, but like he made it seem so easy as a solution. But yeah, there's a huge correlation. I don't know of a good analogy or joke to make, but that seems pretty unreasonable. <laughs> I want to switch over to a hilarious story. I'm going to actually put myself on mute after I ask the question because I'm, I don't want to laugh over you the entire time. But tell us about the story, the Zoom story and the Zoom filters as you were experimenting um, as you're building your brand. Yeah, so this was really an encouraging moment. And I'm so glad I told you about this. But basically, so... Early on, you know, well, everyone was getting accustomed to Zoom. I, you know, me and the small team at the very beginning, at the end of one of our like wind down meetings, I discovered the like face filter section of Zoom preferences that I didn't know existed. And I told everyone and we were having fun messing around. I, you know, I was adding like thick eyebrows and I added like a thick black mustache over my already red mustache. And I added like dark red lipstick and all of these like funny things like a birthday hat and all these things. And we were all laughing. And and I turned off Zoom not knowing that it actually saves those filter preferences. So when you log back on the next time, which for me was um, like a morning meeting with a marketing agency, it'll just pop right back onto your face. So I log back on, you know, turn on the video, we're talking, and I already can sense that there's a weird vibe with the person we're talking to. Like, I can't put my finger on, but like, there's, there's something weird that they're reacting to. And I'm not like, there's enough people that my, my little screen is small enough that I'm not looking at it. And I think he said something sort of like, nice look. And I was like, that's a weird, that's strange. It's a weird thing to like start off a meeting with, but okay, maybe, okay. And we're going about the meeting and I can I keep hearing like my Slack notifications going off. And I'm like, yeah, and so I just, you know, I mute those and suddenly my Zoom chat notifications start popping up. And I, I'm seeing one of the people on our team is just emailing me, your filter is still on. And I look and I literally I have like I can't really explain. I look like a Victorian doll with a mustache. Like I look like I'm a cast member of like Sweeney Todd. It's really disturbing. And it was even more disturbing because I couldn't have been more straight faced in the meeting. So I can't imagine this person meeting me for the first time I was thinking when I was like, you know, we are really looking to reimagine medicine. And I have like lipstick and a beauty mark and like a pizza shaped birthday cap that's animated on my head. And needless to say, we didn't end up going with that agency. 
But uh, it really, it, it definitely helped me understand the, my limitations with technology and Zoom. And uh, it was a great kickoff to really the work from home culture for me. Man, I don't know if I'm going to regret putting myself on mute. I, I was crying during that entire story. The Sweeney yeah. Todd got me, man. And it was just as funny as the first time I heard it. Good times, man. There's always fun stories like that with startups. I think that one is one that's not too bad. You know, it's like, yeah, you had to filter yeah. on. It's pretty damn funny. I want to chat about a couple other things before we jump off here. How has, since you've launched, any pivots been made? You know, with early on, was there a heavier focus on DTC versus brick and mortar? Have you made any changes? How are you thinking about the future in terms of building a business as well as a brand? No, that's a great question. And, you know, being a young brand, it's extremely necessary to be able to pivot and change and react. And we knew that going into it. And we even had sort of planned out a pivot. And what that pivot was, was basically we wanted to launch as a D2C brand, understanding that, you know, the D2C ecosystem has changed pretty dramatically over the past few years with iOS change and everything. But our biggest thing is we need to be trusted with, you know, if we were a protein bar, a quotient of trust is is significantly lower than being a medicine. So mm-hmm. we really want to build that credibility, that trust. And then also we really wanted to understand what our consumers are, you know, the people that we, re- we were servicing, what they loved about us. So we can really focus on that as we're moving forward. So D2C really allowed us to do that. And so we used that as a vehicle to gain exposure so that when we did start to sort of transition over to retail and we were going up against these brands, some of them, these other digestive health brands, these other antacids that have literally been on the market for 90 years. There aren't many antacid startups out there, I, I can tell you. So we're going up against these brands that your grandparents had in their medicine cabinet, your parents had in their medicine cabinet, and you likely have in your medicine cabinet. And there really hasn't been many other options. We needed to at least have you say, I've seen that before. I've heard of that. I've heard of Wonderbelly. And that's what we were aiming for. Uh, We had a really great launch. We got amazing reactions, amazing attention. We, of course, had made a few assumptions that when we launched, we were like, okay, we, we were right on the money about like exactly who we wanted to focus on and all of that, that we got a lot of retail attention from that, uh, more so than we were planning on. So, you know, one of those pivots was earlier than anticipated, we are moving into retail and moving away from D2C because D2C did perform as we had wanted to. For better or for worse, it it performed better and earlier than we actually anticipated. Mm -hmm. So um, we're making a move to, to retail in a big way. Very cool. Yeah, I think that the iOS, Apple and Meta War has been... I just have so many friends in the industry that are losing hair, whether they're on the media buying side or or on the, the manufacturer side. It's pretty brutal for all. And I think that the retail push, it's not something that's new and novel. It's, it's something that many folks did early on. I think that people who are focused on D2C, I think there's some really smart brands out there that built an army. At Quest Nutrition, I always use this example and I've taken it with me ever since is you know, they built an online community so that they could call them to action anywhere they dropped in store, whether it's at Walmart and four packs, Costco in the 18s or whatever it may be, GNCs and the single and caddies. I think it's important to have that online community and, and win online and in store or build an online community. And there's some frozen brands out there that are doing that and, and crushing it in store. So a super smart move. Yeah. And it's necessary these days, especially... You know, one of our big things is that people think of heartburn 
as something 65 year old, you know, older generations experience. And it's isolated to that when we're coming out saying that's not the case. Millennials are experiencing it at similar rates. Um, They're just not being spoken to. And that demographic, they live online. And so for us to effectively communicate with them, we have to live there too, to an extent. And so, yeah, it's, it's understanding how does being an anti-acid brand that usually is ex- you know exclusively seen in a store how do we start to make a space for ourselves online as well 100 well lucas i'm going to link to your site your linkedin your store locator all of that good stuff it's been a pleasure chatting with you about your brand and your product and appreciate having you on thank you so much and really appreciate it yeah check us out wonderbelly.com and very soon a store near you. And before we jump, um, I'm going to have a 1A and 1B option for the uh, the episode artwork. And 1B is definitely going to be the AI image of you um, that you sent me. Awful. And that <laughs> literally crumble under that image. And just to give context, a friend of mine put a press photo of my brother and I into an AI generator to create like similar images. And it couldn't be more disturbing the like versions of me that AI has actually come up with. Those will hopefully never see the light of day. I'm not gonna do it. I don't wanna get fired, Uh, (laughs) but, but, but appreciate you, man. Have a great one.